Welcome to War Room, the official podcast of the U.S. Army War College Online Journal, graciously supported by the Army War College Foundation. Please join the conversation at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. We hope you enjoy the program. Hello, I'm Daryl Driver. I'm director of the European Studies Program here at the U.S. Army War College, and I'm joined today on um, this edition of the War Room podcast by Ms. Eileen uh, Riboulis. Uh, Ms. Riboulis is currently the Counselor for Political and Military Affairs um, at the uh, European Union's delegation to the United States in Washington, and I'd like to thank her uh, for joining us here today, and, and maybe if start off a little bit just to get a little bit about your own personal history and, and, and career and, and what has brought you to, uh, to Washington to work on defense and security issues. Well, thank you very much, and, and thanks, uh, thanks uh, first of all, for, for having me here and, and having this, uh, this great opportunity to discuss uh, the, uh, the recent developments in the, uh, in the era of European security and, and defense, and there have been, of course, uh, many, many of them. Uh, first of all, a little bit to introduce myself. So my name is indeed Aile uh, Ripolis. I'm an Estonian national. Uh, I have been working for quite some time on EU external relations. Uh, I, actually, I started my career working uh, on EU enlargement in the um, delegation of the European Commission uh, in Estonia. Uh, thereafter, I joined the Estonian Foreign Ministry, where I worked uh, in the policy uh, planning division, and I was writing speeches for my foreign minister. And uh, thereafter, I uh, got the job offer at the NATO headquarters, uh, where I was recruited as the first Estonian national in the uh, international staff of NATO. So that uh, happened to be 2006, after Estonia had acceded to NATO in, in 2004. And uh, afterwards, I was working on EU uh, side, on EU's uh, uh, external relations for quite a while. I was first working on South Caucasus, where also, of course, a number of conflicts are still uh, out there, uh, notably the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. I was also working on uh, multilateral security issues, uh, notably the OSCE and, and uh, on uh, the US and, and Canada um, uh, relations. And uh, during last year, 2017, I was very privileged to do the EU presidency uh, for Estonia, and mm. I was chairing the, the Council Working uh, Party on Development uh, Cooperation uh, in the second half of last year. Oh, sorry, 2017. Right, right. And uh, I have taken up my, my duties now as the uh, Security and Defence Councillor in the EU delegation uh, to the United States, indeed, uh, in October of last year. So I am uh, relatively new in this position. And uh, I'm very much uh, looking forward to working uh, with my U.S. counterparts and, and also to promote the, uh, the European security and defense initiatives in the U.S. Well, thank you. And I want to thank you um, in advance uh, for joining us today for the uh, European Securities Program. You'll be speaking to students later on. But we're pausing now just for a few moments to have a sort of pre-conversation, if you will, the same way we did. Actually, it's been about a year since your predecessor, uh, Mr. Ludwig Blaurock was uh, was with us here on the War Room podcast, and at the time there were a lot of initiatives underway at the European Union with respect to the common security and defense policy. Uh, he highlighted some of them for us, but we know that since then there's been some progress, um, particularly in June in advance of the uh, NATO Brussels uh, uh, summit. Um, uh, but there's been some other, uh, I think, milestones as well. And I wondered if maybe we could start off with that broad question is, you know, what are what are sort of the leading efforts underway now and, and how much has really been accomplished in the last uh, year in being able to mature European security and defense policy? Actually, last year, 2018, has been a year where uh, a lot, a lot of work has been invested into European uh, security and, and defense. And uh, we have 
has seen also all efforts in, in very many different strands being really accelerated uh, in an unprecedented speed. Uh, it usually takes quite some time in the EU context to develop a new policies because, of course, the EU is a union of, of 28 member states where everybody has different views, different uh, priorities. Uh, there are, of course, very strong underlying common interests and, uh, and very strong willing, willingness uh, to, to move forward. But it usually takes a while before uh, you know, initiatives are being prepared and can be agreed among all member states. Uh, so last the last year 2018 uh, indeed um, saw saw quite uh, many developments. I mean, notably on on PESCO, where uh, we have seen that that during the last year, uh, 33 different uh, new PESCO projects were agreed uh, by uh, by member states, and uh, of course it, it always takes time before a project is being prepared and before it comes to the implementation Permanent phase. structured cooperation. Ex- exactly, yeah. exactly, and it also takes uh, some time before the the whole uh, broader framework for the uh, for the for the PESCO is is being agreed, which which means that uh, above and beyond the the twenty. Uh, common uh, commitments that uh, that the participating member states have agreed to to take. There, there also need to, to be um, more detailed discussions about the sequencing of these uh, commitments. Uh, how quickly uh, uh, they they need to be implemented. What are the priorities among these these commitments uh, and and so on. And and also other other things uh, have to be uh, discussed and, and agreed on, uh, such as 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 also um, uh, the uh, uh, possible participation participation of, of uh, third countries in, in, in PESCO projects. I wonder so, if, if I could just jump in there just uh, for our listeners. So the permanent structured cooperation is, how, how, would you de- how would you describe it? We've had some breakthroughs this year in terms of agreements. We've had, as you said, some new projects that have been approved, but it's sort of in general for a neophyte, um, how would you describe PESCO? <laughs> Uh, permanent structured cooperation is a framework of cooperation for those member states, and there are for the moment 25 member states of the EU uh, out of 28 who have agreed to participate in, in this framework in order to uh, to boost uh, capabilities and, and in order to improve the, the operational readiness uh, of, of these countries. So it, it basically um, allows those participating member states to work closer in the area of, uh, of security and, and defense. It also allows uh, uh, them to uh, to cooperate and and also um, not only that it allows them to cooperate it also obliges them to cooperate more more closely uh, with uh, each other to be uh, more um, engaged in uh, collaborative uh, defense um, uh, projects uh, for example also to be uh, participating more in, in joint trainings and uh, and 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 also uh, there is there is one quite important uh, commitment within uh, the pesco uh, that is uh, of uh, interest always for the us side and that is also the complete commitment to to increase in fact their defense yeah. expenditure gradually uh, so so it is it is an important uh, framework and and also one that it, that is uh, being being used as the as increasingly as as a, as a motivation and and as a as a framework which which can also be supported by by other other means and and possibilities by the EU, uh, including, uh, uh, for example, uh, the future European uh, Defence Fund, mm-hmm. and and this is in fact uh, the, uh, the the second initiative that that I that I wanted to briefly uh, refer to because uh, that uh, the the Commission uh, proposal to establish a European uh, Defence Fund was also one of the of the important initiatives that came out uh, last year in in June, and uh, in fact uh, in a in a nutshell this is a, a fund 
that is aimed to boost the uh, capability development and, and research and, and also innovative uh, ca capabilities of, uh, of, uh, uh, of uh, European um, countries, uh, uh, which would have a, an indicative budget of uh, some uh, 13 billion uh, euros for the time frame of uh, uh, 2021 to, to 27. And for the moment, uh, work is, is ongoing in, in order to, uh, to um, agree uh, the uh, regulation uh, for the uh, European Defence Fund among our member states, because of course, uh, as a legislative act, uh, this uh, needs to be uh, agreed by, by all member states. And um, in the meantime, what uh, is happening is that uh, European Defence Industrial Development Programme is the kind of predecessor of the European uh, de uh, Defence Fund. And that already actually, uh, starting from this year, uh, from 2019, will allow to fund uh, certain uh, activities and, and, and projects uh, which are uh, related to the uh, capability uh, development of the EU member states. Uh, I would I would still like to highlight another uh, quite uh, important um, new initiative uh, that uh, that came out last year, and that was the proposal by the High Representative of the of the European Union uh, for the European uh, Peace Facility. Uh, so this is a new uh, initiative, uh, a new proposal uh, to uh, to uh, set up um, a multi-annual uh, fund, which will uh, support the the military operations of the of the European Union. Uh, this fund uh, will start operating uh, also from 2021 uh, onwards, uh, because that has to do something with the multi-annual financial framework and the, and the way how the uh, EU budget works. So we, we, we cannot do this, uh, this earlier uh, than 2021. Uh, what is new with with, with this uh, this fund is that uh, that it will allow to uh, to fund the common cost uh, related to uh, EU uh, military operations, and it will also allow uh, it uh, to to fund those common costs uh, worldwide. Because uh, for the moment, uh, we have uh, a African peace facility that is um, uh, allowing. To, uh, to fund uh, a certain level of common cost of the of the EU uh, military um, uh, missions uh, in Africa, but obviously also the EU is, is active uh, in many uh, in in very many places uh, outside Africa and in, in the world. So, so an establishment of such a fund would give um, the EU much more flexibility uh, to uh, to use this fund, uh, which would also also have then a bigger predi predictability for funding the missions. Uh, because the fund would, would have a duration of, of seven years and that would allow the EU to fund um, military uh, operations uh, um, in, a, in a more predictable uh, manner. Um, and, yeah. and, and then uh, finally also there was good progress uh, done on military mobility last year uh, because ah, yes. an action plan on military mobility uh, came out in March. Uh, work is now ongoing um, uh, on follow-up and military requirements for military mobility were agreed um, in fact uh, just uh, in november which is uh, is, is now um, sort of giving the, the the groundwork for the next steps uh, on on this and uh, i would uh, here like to highlight especially that uh, that there has been very close cooperation with nato on on this because of course military mobility is also one of the of the three priority areas of eu nato cooperation 
and uh, and also of, of very high uh, interest uh, for for NATO. And that is also one of the areas where the EU can actually provide uh, quite substantial value added, uh, right. especially in terms of uh, trying to facilitate the uh, the customs procedures and the regulatory framework uh, works that that are uh, related to to the uh, movement of uh, of troops among different uh, member states. And also the EU is, is able to to provide uh, some additional funding uh, in order to to support the um, upgrading of, of infrastructure that affects the uh, the dual used uh, goods. Yeah, it's certainly of critical importance to NATO. In fact, I recall Lieutenant General uh, Hodges, retired Ben Hodges, uh, used to uh, refer to it, and I think for a while at least uh, the term was in vogue: the military Schengen zone, the the ability to rapidly move equipment around Europe. Um, no, that 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 all sounds um, very good. I, I wonder also, though, there's sort of two aspects, if you will, to a lot of these developments. Uh, if you look at particularly at the uh, U- EU global strategy, it talks a lot about, as you pointed out, the military mobility initiative in larger terms, the need to grow closer to NATO and to make sure that that, that coordination um, is lashed up. But it also has this other idea, which is um, EU strategic autonomy. So a lot of people, you know, one can look at this and go there's and say there's only one pool of forces in Europe. This all sounds great. We're working together on these projects to develop capabilities. There are capabilities that NATO needs. Uh, we're, fun- we're adding additional EU funds to for the capabilities. We're adding additional EU funds for deployments uh, that project security and stability. But on the other hand, some uh, are concerned that you, you will have some duplication when you talk about EU strategic autonomy. How would you respond to those critics? Well, um, in in my view, a stronger Europe makes also uh, NATO much stronger. I mean, we uh, uh, see our work on on um, security and defense, and then notably also on on defense capability as um, in support of NATO's work. Uh, we certainly uh, do not see any competition or or any uh, rivalry with uh, with NATO in that uh, sense. Uh, I would like to point out that uh, that in fact uh, also in in the EU treaty, in um, uh, it, it says very very clearly that uh, EU common security and defence policy should be uh, should complement NATO and and it has this very very uh, clear reference uh, to to NATO in the EU treaties already. Um, and I also think that uh, that a very um, you know good progress uh, which has taken place in the NATO EU uh, relations over the past years. Uh, I mean, especially since uh, July 2016, when the first uh, joint declaration between the EU and, and NATO was um, agreed, uh, is, is also a proof uh, in in the pudding, so to say, uh, that that both organisations uh, do see uh, the value added of the, of this uh, this um, uh, cooperation. That uh, that there are some areas where uh, I believe also that that the EU is in fact uh, uh, in a way uh, adding new uh, new tools and new possibilities uh, to make uh, uh, progress in, in 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 certain areas. I mean, military mobility is, is one of those very clearly. Uh, other areas uh, that uh, that also uh, are relevant are, for example, cyber cyber defense, uh, also hybrid threats. And uh, and that also has uh, something to do with uh, the fact that uh, the EU toolbox is simply so much broader than, than what NATO has. 
and uh, EU also has at its disposal, of course, a number of um, um, uh, tools that that have to do with uh, law enforcement. That uh, when it comes to to cyber uh, defense-related activities, for example, that also uh, have to do with uh, you know data protection. Uh, that uh, and and that uh, and a judiciary uh, as well as well. So so in in that sense, uh, I would I would certainly see that uh, that uh, the the work um, ongoing on the EU side is uh, is is is, is is helpful uh, to NATO. In the area of uh, capability development, uh, I know that that there have been, of course, some concerns uh, being uh, voiced about duplication and about uh, uh, overlaps uh, and and all of that. Uh, I think uh, we have also, especially last year, uh, started to, to hear uh, quite positive messages and uh, and um, statements from the NATO uh, high level officials uh, regarding the value added of the uh, European uh, um, capability and and defence uh, work. Uh, because uh, uh, less duplication inside Europe and, uh, and less fragment- fragmentation in terms of uh, defence capabilities and defence uh, procurement inside Europe uh, also, of course, means uh, better output and uh, more output uh, for the, uh, the countries involved. And if these countries involved are also members of, of NATO in, indirectly, of course, NATO also benefits uh, from increased uh, efficiency and, uh, and increased uh, cooperation uh, within, uh, within the EU. And I can vouch for the fact that there's certainly increasing lash up between the NATO defense planning process and, and similar processes within the European Union, having having done that job previously. Uh, but maybe there, if we could clear up one point of potential confusion uh, for many, though, that, that what we've talked about in this, I think, really good summary that you provided thus far is not the same as the French initiative, which is the European Intervention Initiative. Uh, you, we know that Emmanuel Macron uh, made news um, several months ago when he talked about the potential at some point of a, of a, a quote unquote real European army. And we have this other initiative that's really sort of a, a coalition of a smaller number of states who are trying to develop a separate operational capability. you talk a little bit about the degree to which that relates to or is connected to the European Union, or you've had some some insight into that effort? Mm-hmm. Well, the French uh, initiative on uh, European intervention initiative is, is indeed an initi- initiative that uh, has been uh, pursued outside the uh, the context of the of the EU. It brings together uh, 10 mem- uh, member states uh, of, the, of the EU. Um, uh, including uh, the UK, that uh, at, at some point uh, um, in, the, in the coming years uh, will uh, will be uh, probably, unfortunately, leaving the EU, and it also brings together. Um, uh, it, it 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 also uh, has has Finland as as its member. That is uh, is is obviously not uh, not a NATO member. Uh, so uh, the the overall aim of the of the um, European Intervention Initiative is is to try to foster the strategic culture and and also to improve the the operational um, ability and, and readiness uh, for the operations and uh, if done uh, in close cooperation uh, with uh, uh, with uh, uh, European Union and uh, and uh, with uh, PESCO initiatives we, we do not see a, a threat that uh, that this would somehow be leading to more fragmentation or more duplication of work uh, I think uh, all countries that are part of the European intervention initiative they also have a very strong interest to make sure that that uh, there is no duplication because everybody has one single set of forces 
and I think uh, a higher level of, of readiness uh, uh, from these uh, these um, uh, nations would uh, would also, of course, uh, uh, help to uh, to boost their co- contributions to uh, both the EU, but also to NATO and and also to the UN uh, peacekeeping operations uh, where necessary. So uh, so overall. Uh, I think that 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 uh, more cooperation among the European countries on security and defense overall is is a very good uh, thing anyway because also it will help to to enhance uh, interoperability and uh, and uh, and the whole uh, um, you know, collaboration am- among them. And that has also some secondary effects always. Uh, so uh, in terms of uh, strategic culture and, and, and also very, very practical uh, side, effects, uh, side effects that uh, that are very, very welcome. Right. And you talked about the positive um, aspect of uh, European Ur- uh, intervention initiative being especially that it continues to lash uh, the Un- United Kingdom to uh, European defense. Um, I wonder if you might say a few words about that going forward. We're now several months uh, ahead of a scheduled uh, exit of the of Britain from the European Union. Uh, what, what sorts of steps are being taken or what sorts of challenges do you envision that might be associated with that departure, uh, specifically on the security and defense front? Well, uh, I mean, <clears throat> first of all, of course, we, we very much regret that uh, that uh, that the UK will uh, leave uh, leave the, the European Union also because the UK has been a very substantial uh, partner and, and and in terms of uh, defense capabilities, it it it, it has a, a substantial uh, place, of course, in the uh, in the in the whole uh, uh, work of the of the European uh, security and defense. Um, um, well, I think there is there is a very strong interest uh, both uh, from the side of the EU and from the side of, of the UK to make sure that there is uh, as close cooperation as possible, uh, really, between uh, the two two sides. Also, after um, uh, Britain will will leave from the EU. Uh, first of all, maybe to, to clarify that that what is uh, um, happening in the in the coming uh, uh, months and, and and actually until um, the uh, the end of the of the next uh, next year uh, is uh, that there will be a transition period which is foreseen. I mean, um, uh, of course, all all of, of this is still for the moment a little bit uh, in the air given the the ongoing uh, discussions in in the UK uh, regarding the withdrawal agreement in the uh, notably in the in the the UK Parliament. But uh, if all goes well, uh, this would bring the UK to the uh, transition period during which the UK will continue to be uh, part of the uh, European Common Foreign and Security Policy. Just go back to uh, at, a, at a point where you were talking about the United Kingdom being a, continuing to be a part of, of common security and defense policy, mm-hmm. only it will not assume any sort of lead roles mm-hmm. uh, from, from that point. Mm-hmm. So d- during the uh, transition period, the, the UK will uh, will of course still partici- participate in the EU military operations and civilian uh, missions. But uh, however, it cannot be assuming any lead role uh, anymore, and that, uh, for example, means that uh, the operational headquarters, uh, also for the operation of At- Atalanta, will need to be transferred from Norfolk uh, in, uh, to to Rota in Spain. But uh, other than that, uh, the UK will will still, of course, uh, uh, also participate uh, in the um, uh, in the uh, European Defence Agency, but it will uh, not have any more any decision making uh, mm-hmm. role. So, right. so these are the the main changes that that will already happen during the transition period. Uh, and then after the the transition period, uh, of course, we will uh, strive to have uh, as close as possible political dialogue uh, with uh, the UK. And, and that will also then, of course, cover the uh, security and uh, defense related issues. 
Uh, we will also uh, wish to have uh, a very close cooperation, of course, uh, with uh, the UK uh, regarding the crisis management uh, missions and also, of course, uh, uh, try to encourage their um, uh, their participation uh, further on in these missions because they are, are really uh, important uh, contributors. Uh, however, the arrangements on how uh, this cooperation can then um, be um, uh, continuing uh, will have to be um, uh, renegotiated because usually third countries participate in the EU CSTP missions uh, through or on the basis of a framework uh, participation agreements and, and such an agreement would then need to be agreed also with, uh, with the UK. And uh, uh, we would also hope that the UK will still be uh, able and interested to, to second uh, uh, stuff uh, to, uh, to the EU missions, but would also uh, hopefully to, uh, to operational headquarters after its, uh, its departure from the, from the EU. And uh, regarding the uh, defence capabilities, uh, the UK uh, will, uh, of course, uh, um, be uh, invited to cooperate uh, very, very closely uh, with the uh, EDA, European uh, Defence Agency. Uh, however, uh, for that also an administrative arrangement uh, uh, would, would need to be uh, then uh, agreed, which would basically stipulate the um, uh, formalities uh, for that. And, uh, and uh, we, would, we would also very much uh, hope that the, that the UK will, uh, will continue to, to participate in the collaborative uh, defence uh, projects, um, both in the, in the context of the, of the, of the PESCO, obviously, but, uh, but then uh, hopefully also in uh, those that, that uh, can be uh, funded by the, by the European um, uh, Defence Fund. Oh, thank you. Yeah, we've pretty much reached the uh, end of our time here, but I did want to offer one final question, if I could. You're going to speak to a uh, uh, room of future senior leaders in the uh, U.S. Army uh, and the other uh, services in a few hours, uh, some international officers and uh, interagency partners as well. Uh, if you could leave one thing with them, what would you like to leave with them with respect to the European Union-U.S. relationship? Well, I would like to <laughs> tell them that that uh, partnerships uh, do matter, and it really is uh, it is worth to invest into them. And uh, I think, in the area of of, uh, of security and defence, we have uh, an enormous potential still uh, to fill in uh, in in our cooperation in the, in the cooperation between the EU and and the US. Our cooperation overall on security and defence uh, is uh, is already very good. Of course, I mean we have uh, uh, very good uh, cooperation, especially. Uh, uh, in the field uh, among our missions, uh, uh, notably in Africa. I think uh, we can uh, we can still do, of course, more also to exploit fully the potential of, of that cooperation in the field, uh, um, and uh, to you know work uh, on improving the exchange of information and and maybe also mutual support in terms of logistics and uh, so on. And and I think that's in, in really in, in, in everybody's interest. Uh, but I also think that uh, that uh, there is uh, some potential to uh, uh, to uh, to enhance uh, our cooperation on on uh, other issues. Uh, Military mobility be, being one of them, also on cyber defense, of course, uh, there is there is a lot happening. We all need to work with, with each other uh, due to the nature of, of the problem <laughs> in itself already, also on, on hybrid, uh, on countering hybrid uh, threats. And uh, and I think it is it is very important that uh, that uh, that we 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 do work uh, on uh, on on these these uh, challenges that uh, that do affect uh, all of us. 
and uh, that are uh, getting increasingly complex uh, uh, that that we that we do work on on those things uh, together and uh, it is it is really in our on our mutual interest and in the interest of of uh, having bigger security for for our citizens so you have no shortage of work to do over the next year or so. No, <laughs> certainly not. And, well, go ahead. And 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 I also think that uh, that uh, since the e- the EU uh, is developing uh, rapidly in the uh, in the area of, of of security and defense, there is increasingly more potential for even more boosting this cooperation. So uh, certainly from the EU side, we see increasing number of, of possibilities to work with the US, and uh, and we very much hope that that this uh, is is also go- going to be leading to uh, to real um, results. And for the sake of both sides of the uh, Atlantic space, I wish you the very best of luck in all of that. Uh, and thank you again for joining us, Ms. Rubulis, and um, thank you. Thank you very much. And that concludes our program. Thank you for listening. The views expressed in this podcast reflect those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views, policies, or positions of the U.S. Army or the Department of Defense. Let us know what you think. Provide us your feedback, comments, or suggestions through our webpage at warroom.armywarcollege.edu. And have a great day.